Welcome to the Happy Menopause podcast with me, Jackie Lynch, registered nutritional therapist and founder of the Well, Well, Well Nutrition Clinic, where I specialize in women's health and the menopause. There are so many ways that diet and lifestyle can help to relieve a whole range of menopause symptoms. And my new book, The Happy Menopause, Smart Nutrition to Help You Flourish, is packed with practical nutrition advice to support you through this transition. It's out now and available to order in all the usual places. Join me and my expert guests on a journey through midlife in this podcast and find out how you can have a healthy and happy menopause. This is a joyous podcast. Walking is something that's accessible to almost all of us, and it's often a much less daunting prospect to the average harassed midlife woman than high-impact work, running or intense training. What's wonderful about the research we discussed today is that walking isn't a second best option if you're not up to other forms of exercise. It's much, much more than that. And we discuss the very many ways that different types of walking can benefit us. Something I'd never really considered before, even though I often recommend a daily walk to women in my nutrition clinic. But walking in different weathers, at different speeds, in different terrain, and with a different mindset, can all bring different health benefits. My guest today is the wonderful Annabelle Streets, who's an award-winning writer of highly researched fiction and non-fiction. She's an absolute genius at translating complex research into simple and manageable habits that we can include in our everyday life. We'll be discussing her latest book, 52 Ways to Walk, The Surprising Science of Walking for Wellness and Joy, One Week at a Time. Annabelle's also the co-founder of the outstanding AgeWell Project blog. If you don't know it, do take a look. And the co-author of the book, The AgeWell Project, Easy Ways to Live a Longer, Healthier and Happier Life. I've been excited about recording this podcast since I received her latest book, and I'm confident you're going to enjoy listening to Annabelle as much as I did. So let's hear what she's got to say. Welcome to the Happy Menopause, Annabelle. Thank you so much for having me, Jackie. Oh, it's a pleasure. I think this is a fascinating subject and I can't wait to drill down into it and get all your advice on it. But before we do that, let's find out a bit more about you. So tell us your story, Annabelle. What's your background and how did it lead to where you are now? Well, I got a degree in English uh, many years ago. Before that, I I grew up in Wales with no car. So I've walked since I was very small, so walking is sort of in my DNA. But right. then I went on and studied literature. Then after that, I went into business and I studied statistics. So sort of an odd combination of the literary and the, the sort of the, the numerate, really. And then fast forward a few years, my grandmother lived with dementia for 30 years. My grandfather died three weeks after he retired. And suddenly I was sort of looking at my own mortality. I met Susan Saunders at the school gates and we shared our our stories of, I suppose, the possibility of living like our living like our grandparents, either for a very long time, but but not really with it, or for not very long at all. And then we started blogging at the Age World Project. So that was one sort of one thread of my career. And the other thread was that I just started writing all sorts of highly highly researched fiction and nonfiction. Uh, and then I got back to walking, which is my great great love and passion. And I wanted to write a book about walking. So I wrote a book about walking. It was called Windswept. Okay, gosh. So let's just unpick some of that because that's a, that's a very busy life. 
First things first, I think it's really interesting that you, you've come this route because, of course, that combination of English and statistics probably is what perhaps makes you so analytical and focused on ensuring that everything you're putting in your books is is researched and very clear because you've got that, that very interesting combination. And I also think it's very interesting that you're trying to weigh up and that conversation with Susan was about trying to weigh up, you know, how are you going to age? Is it that you burn bright and then crash? Or is it that you, you know, it's a slower flame, but it's not a great flame and trying to find out where you sit in the middle of that. So was there a light bulb moment in those conversations that led you to think, let's create the Age Well blog? I think there were probably a series of light bulb moments that sort of happened over time. I had four small children, she had two, and we were both at that stage. And I think I was thinking of it from a slightly historical perspective in that we are the first generation of midlife women ever to deal with, you know, to have our children so late, to have parents that live on and on and on. Absolutely. Uh, and and also to have full-time careers. So that is an awful lot for a, a midlife woman to juggle. Yes. And yes. we were acutely aware of the enormous stress that we were under. And when we look back at our mothers who had had actually much easier lives and our grandmothers, and yet they had then lived with you know, dementia for, for a very long time, it seemed to us that we really needed to pay attention to our health now in order to avoid being like our uh, grandparents or in Susan's case, her mother. Mm. So uh, when you say on, now, how old were you when you were going through this this sort of revelation, as it were? I think I was about 40, 45. We were mid four. I think we were both about 40, mid 40s. Mm, mm. Yeah, so I think I was probably about 44, 45. And I, I'd had, I had four children, but my last one I had very late. I was nearly 41. Gosh. So and that was completely different from from my mother who had you know had her first child when she was 24. So 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 many things had changed in that generation that put so much pressure on our generation of yeah. women Jackie. We were suddenly having to do it all. We were also the first generation to be told that we could have a full-time career. Yes. And suddenly we wanted it all. But you know there's a very high price for having it all. Uh, and there's also quite a high price you know when you're when your parents sort of live for much longer than expected and when you're having your children later so there's that that 10 years it's really sort of 10 years I think between 40 and 50 in all my studying of of history because I I studied history with my literature at university I'd never seen that I'd never seen women under that enormity of of pressure yes so so we were just sort of weighing that up in the light of our uh our sort of ancestral heritage if you like it's very interesting because I, I, I really agree with that. I, I do see that what women are investing in their health and well-being in their 40s and 50s pays absolute dividends uh, in their 60s, 70s and beyond. And there is frankly no point to living longer if you're not able to enjoy it and live healthier. That's absolutely right, Jackie. But those years are the years when we have least time to spend yeah. on ourselves. So that's the paradox, really, isn't it? They're the yeah. most important for our future health. But they're also that it's that decade when we're really not looking after ourselves because we're looking after our elderly father in hospital or our, our small toddler we had very late or, or our full time career that's suddenly yes. just taking off. And we, we're trying to keep all those balls in the air. And it's enormously stressful. Yeah, it is. I, I think anybody listening to this is just going to know. Yes, check, check, check 
all those things and we've all lived it and it's 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 an immense pressure and i haven't even mentioned we haven't even mentioned the menopause so you've got physiological (laughs) change going on at the same time it's an absolute melting pot yeah yeah it is it is a hugely stressful time so i think the age well blog then of course segued into the age well project as a book that's right. It did. And it's sort of, well, as you know, it's, it's, it's grown and it's gone in all sorts of different directions. And mm. we started off being very food focused because we felt that we were at home. Well, when we, when we were at home, we were cooking and that was the first thing. Yeah, we thought we can, we can change that quite quickly because everyone has to sh- shop and cook mm. and eat. So that was, that was quite a quick one to do. Fitting and exercise, though, we move a bit on to walking. Fitting and exercise is more challenging because we don't have to do exercise. You know, we that's sometimes the first thing to go when you have no time for yourself you have to eat but actually you can tell yourself that you don't have to go to the gym you don't have to do a yoga class and there's no time so that's often the first thing to go yeah yeah it is absolutely and I think perhaps one of the big surprises I remember speaking to Susan when we discussed the age well project in a previous blog that it was actually a big surprise quite a revelation that the impact of lifestyle and exercise on your ability to age well Yes. And having having written about longevity for whatever it is now, eight, nine years, I actually think movement is the single most important thing yeah. of all. I think yeah. it's actually more important than having eight hours of sleep every night. I think it's actually more, although that sleep is important, I think it's actually even more important than you know, having the perfect diet. You have to move. Yeah. So yeah. Well, we're built to move, aren't we? We're built to move. And yet somehow we don't. So it brings us rather neatly to your latest book. And I should just sort of put in parenthesis that you've written lots of books. And I do urge everyone to go and find out more about Annabelle further down the line, because there's some interesting stuff there. But let's focus on 52 Ways to Walk. Was it because of your discovery through AgeWell Project that you thought, you know what, I've always been a walker, I grew up without a car, and I want to get back to that? Was that the the driver for it? Um, Yes and no. Working on the AgeWell Project meant that I was suddenly reading all of these sort of quite data-heavy, quite dry reports that were just piling into my in-tray and, and suddenly coming in, you know, one a day on, you know, what, how, how long we should spend on, on resistance work and how, how, how many steps, you know, all these little things that scientists are studying and, and mm. sometimes in fairly obscure laboratories or medical schools and producing these reports that often were getting lost in everything else because I think the media see something about walking, they think, oh, we know how to do that. Yeah. And so a lot of the walking things, they were focusing on things like HIT and they were focusing on uh, some of the newer, sexier things. So basic plain old walking, you know, was often not not really achieving the coverage I thought it deserved. Certainly the reports I was looking at were really interesting because they were looking at more obscure aspects of walking, like uh, the way in which the terrain we walk on affects us, the way in which the climate and the weather affect us, you know, looking at very fairly niche things that just, I think, just weren't sexy enough for the media. So anyway, so I devoured them all. I think that's that's really interesting because one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you today is that I think walking is a really reassuring thing. I think that for women in midlife who are worrying about exercise or perhaps self-conscious about exercise or have got issues with their pelvic floor and don't want to do or can't do the high impact stuff that's being really lauded in the media. The notion of, well, I could go out for a walk. I know how to do that. It's not scary and it could make a difference is something that's immensely comforting and, and frankly quite exciting. 
it's so democratic walking anyone can do it and that's one of the reasons that I love it you just need you just need something on your feet and well some clothes hopefully the right you know something to wear <laughs> and off you go but you don't need anything you don't really need any special kit and you don't need a gym membership uh, quite often you don't even need extra time because you can just factor it into your working day mm-hmm. by walking to the shops or walking to your office or you know doing the school run not in the car on foot instead so there are little tiny tweaks that I think pretty much everyone can make to their daily life to get in a bit of walking. Yeah. So that that's the first thing. And also you can do it you can do it on a Zimmer frame. You can do it if you're fit and healthy. You can do it with a toddler, you can do it with a dog. You know, we can all do it regardless of our our situation if you like. Yes. Absolutely. That's that's great. And I think one of the things I love is the way you've broken the book down into 52 types of walking, essentially one week, if you like, throughout the year. But it means there really is something for everyone. And even if we're not proficient hikers, most of us do enjoy a walk, particularly in nice weather. And the one I pounced on immediately when I looked at the book was the brisk 12-minute walk, because it's a quick and easy fix. And let's face it, we do all love a quick fix. And I've been doing that faithfully um, for the past few weeks since I received the book. So tell me why that's good. What am I doing for myself in that brisk walk? Well, the interesting thing there is really that uh, scientists, when they studied, they studied people and then sort of measured measured everything that was happening in their body and did all the blood tests and whatever. They discovered that at 12 minutes, something happens in the body and over 500 over 500 little proteins that are the exact proteins that doctors will look at when they when they want when they do your blood test and they just want to see a general picture of your health 500 change at the 12 minute mark so so wow. something is clearly happening physiologically whereby the body that gives the body time to wake up and actually to start um shifting some of its shifting some of the things that are happening within us and the interest—I mean, the interesting really is that it's twelve minutes. It's not twenty minutes or thirty yes. minutes. Yes. And that was the, I think, the revelation that those scientists um, found with that walk, because anyone can fit in a, a twelve-minute walk. Now, with that walk, it's a fast walk. Yes. So, um, so you need to be—you need to be—you know—you need to be striding for that one. But you don't need to be running or jogging. It's just a quick, brisk walk that many people will do anyway if they're, you know, a bit late a bit late for a train or a bit late for a dental appointment, you will just speed up and you'll probably find you're doing that sort of pace. Yes. And I think you said in the book that you're looking at a a minimum of 100 paces uh, a minute. Yeah. So a brisk walk is anywhere between 100 and 130 steps per minute, because people quite often say to me, well, what is brisk? And what is brisk to one person, you know, could be slow to another. Yes. So that's that's the ballpark, really. And that's I know you've done it, Jackie. But it's very easy. You just set your timer for a minute and then just count each step and you'll see how fast you can go comfortably. Well, yeah, you say that's very easy, but I have to confess that the first time I did it, I actually set the timer and promptly forgot to count. <laughs> <laughs> and thought, well, that's my menopausal brain. Um, but it, it's it's really good. And I think one of the great things about it is that it does raise your heart rate a little, but not in a scary way. No, that's right. So you can still get to work without arriving drenched in sweat. Exactly, exactly. And you can you can even still have a little bit of a conversation if you need to, if you need to take a phone call or something. You know, you can well, still right. operate. Yes, one of my uh, women's health physio friends often says you should be able to talk but not sing. Yes, yes, that that sounds about right. Yes, but there's also a section in the book on slow walking, which I also like the sound of. So why can that be helpful? What's the difference there? 
Well, I think the key thing is that we need to be moving. So our body is not designed to spend eight hours sitting hunched over hunched over laptops as we are now, Jackie. Our bodies are really meant to be out and about. You know, we're meant to be moving, twisting, bending. So even even just a short walk, every in fact, if just getting up from your chair and moving around is beneficial. But even a short walk, and, and these studies they looked at elderly people who couldn't walk, couldn't do a you know a thirty minute walk, and couldn't yeah. hike for hours. Uh, and often these people were uh, walking with sticks or just walking very slowly. And again, they found that 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 short walks and often doing doing several short walks in a day was you know, hugely beneficial, more beneficial than I think they had anticipated. Because again, we, we read the newspapers and we've all been led to believe that, you know, we need to be going really fast and it needs to be, you know, um, a high, you know, that sort of high impact. And yes. But actually it doesn't, it just needs to be moving our, our limbs and our muscles and, and, and getting a bit of weight, getting a bit of weight down on our feet. So a slow walk can be very beneficial. And sometimes we don't feel that we don't want, we don't want to do a fast walk, do we? Sometimes no. we, we need to also reflect on something. We need to think about something. And that's the other great thing about walking, which I, in my experience, I cannot do when I'm on a rowing machine or running. You cannot work things through in your mind. And that is one of the great benefits of going out for a walk yes. is that you can come back and you can have discovered a, a solution to something that's bugging you or something that's worrying you. So it's just as good for your mental health as your physical health. Mm. And I what's love very interesting there is that notion that several short walks is actually better than one big walk because again coming back to what we were saying earlier it's very often the case that women will be thinking I do not have an hour to go for a walk in the middle of the day but suddenly oh could I do three 10 minute walks well yes I probably could yes 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 and in fact some of the studies show that three 10 minute walks are actually better than doing one 30 minute walk yeah, and it, it probably depends on how you're spending your day as well. But I think if you are at a desk all day, then three 10 minute walks is much more beneficial physiologically than mm-hmm. just doing one half hour walk in the morning and then just not moving from your desk. Yeah, so it's very yeah. much about having that regular movement. Yes. It's a little bit like I often say to my clients in my nutrition clinic, there's absolutely sort of no point in you going to the gym religiously three times a week if you literally don't move for the rest of the time, because that's just not going to be cutting it. And you need to be doing that sort of regular movement, that free movement that our ancestors did, because we just spend a lot of time either at the desk or on the sofa. Yes, 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 exactly. And I think also the thing about the the three 10 minute walks is as soon as you get outside, so many other things are happening. Your eyes are changing. So you're using your panoramic vision, which is where you're looking out into Mm. the distance, not looking at your little tiny close up screen. So it's really, really good for your eyes. Uh, It's really good for your breathing. You're just getting out into the fresh air. So there are just many, many, many things happening other than just getting your heart beat up and moving on those three 10-minute walks. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that brings me very neatly to my next question, actually, because I was very drawn to the weather walks you talked about. There's the walk in the cold, a windy walk, a blustery autumn walk, absolutely one of my favourites. There's a walk in the snow or the sunshine, and they all seem to have different health benefits. So, you know, how does different weather affect the impact of the walk? Well, I was absolutely amazed to find this because I think we all just think, A, we think we can walk. We all just think we can walk. And that's not necessarily the case. We're not walking in the best way. And the second thing is we have no idea that where 
and how and the weather conditions. We have no idea that they're having any effect on us. We just think a walk is a walk. Mm. So I was um, I was I was pretty startled by some of these. And this this line of research is very much in its infancy. So all of these reports are have really been done in the last two or three years. Uh, longer in Japan, so Japan's pioneered some of it, and Korea. Those countries have pioneered some of it, but over here it's still fairly new. So when we walk in cold weather, and it's obviously brightening up now, but when we walk in cold weather, we activate our something called our brown fat. And then we're all born as babies. We're born with this lovely layer of brown fat that is not fat at all. It's a terrible, terrible term for it. It's actually, it's actually, uh, it's just mitochondria. It's just energy cells. So when we're born, we have this layer of brown, set, brown fat that's really designed to, to keep us safe, to protect us in case, in case our mother decided to, you know, she lost us or she left us in the woods or something, we would survive right. because we would burn. So what, what happens with our brown fat is it burns through, it eats up the white fat. So it's a, it's an, it's a really powerful energy source. But babies then, as they grow up, they shed their brown fat, but we still have some, we have pockets of it. So for example, we have pockets around the back of our shoulders and around our our collarbones and as soon as we go out into cold weather I think the same thing is happening with with, when we do wild swimming or cold showers the brown fat just starts working and it starts eating up the white fat that's the simplest way I think of explaining it and doesn't that sound like a great thing but what what a great thing just just get out in the cold and I always say just for a few minutes just open up your instead of being completely wrapped up in your scarf you know, buttoned up to the chin, just open it, open your chest to the to the elements just for a little bit and get your brown fat working. What does a windy walk do? Because that's one of my favourites. Oh, well, a windy walk doesn't do so much physiologically. If I'm, we're talking about a normal, sort of a, just a normal blustery day. But what it does is it clears all the pollution from the air. So if you're walking in a city or you've got to walk beside a road or in an area where there's stationary traffic, a windy walk disperses all of that pollution. So the air is suddenly clearer and rain does the same. So if you're living in central London, absolutely the best day to go for an urban walk is a rainy, windy day. And of course, most of us think that when it's rainy and windy, we stay indoors. We think, oh, it's not the right weather for a walk. But in certain places, that is absolutely the perfect, perfect weather conditions for a walk because the air you breathe is so much cleaner. Interesting. So for metropolitan listeners, you know what to do. Now, here today, it is the single most gorgeous day we've had for ages, which means that I am desperate to get outside. And the sunshine, of course, has lots of health benefits. So tell us about that. Well, again, sunshine, very interesting because we've all been told that we must completely cover up and you know cover ourselves in factor 50. And we're all terrified of getting wrinkles. So, <laughs> so we're not really getting the serotonin that we need from sunlight. So sunlight, when it hits our skin, I'm not, I won't talk about I won't talk about vitamin D because I think everyone knows about that. It does create vitamin D, but it also, when it hits our skin, it creates serotonin. Mm-hmm. And serotonin just makes us feel good. And I suspect yeah. one of the reasons, Jackie, you're desperate to get outside is because you know that when you get out in that sun, you'll just feel happier. Yeah. So serotonin hits our skin and immediately improves our mood. And I think the, the, the mental health side of walking is, really important to me again going back to what we were saying about that midlife period you know I also had a lot of my friends went in went into went into depressions went went on to antidepressants at that period because there was dealing with so much and so to know that a sunshiny walk can really really lift your mood 
uh, was was very powerful. But the other thing is when you walk beside water, when you follow a river or you walk beside the sea, you've got all the light reflecting from the water. So you've got twice as much light, which means twice as much serotonin. And that, oh. I think, is the reason why so many people say that they come back from a walk around a lake or beside a river and they just feel so much better. Oh, so it's so the, all the additional light. And of course, we don't think about that. We think, oh, where shall I go today? Shall I go by the river or shall I go in the woods? And no one thinks, well, actually, I'm feeling a bit flat. So if I go by the river and it's sunny, do you know what? I think I'd probably come back feeling really happy. Okay. Although woods, forests and woodlands are also amazing. Yes, I know there's lots of research around that. Yeah. And one of the walks you talk about is the Evergreen Walk. Yeah, the Evergreen Walk is extraordinary because of the effects that scientists are now discovering from walking uh, among phytoncides. So phytoncides are produced by trees and phytoncides protect trees. They protect them from germs and disease and rot. So it's the, the tree's own self-protection mechanism. But phytoncides contain molecules called terpenes. And terpenes, it, has, it is being discovered now, terpenes can be as powerful as an antidepressant or a sleeping pill physiologically for us. And in one experiment, they put uh, a terpene from a Scots pine tree into a Petri dish with a breast cancer tumour and the tumour shrunk. Right. So wow. this is all very much in its infancy, but clearly trees have most remarkable qualities and the chemicals that they produce to protect themselves can also protect us and also lift our moods and help us sleep better. So a walk in a wood, particularly an evergreen wood, uh, was found in one study to be as effective for your subsequent sleep as if you had taken or as if you were to take a sleeping pill but with none of the side effects and you've had a lovely walk to boot and you've moved and had exercise so um that what's is not extraordinary to it's i incredible, often recommend walking in nature to my clients uh, again when they're struggling uh, in relation to stress for example but it's very interesting to realize the background to that whether it's the water and the impact that has or the impact the trees has and i also know that walking with a dog can make a big difference Yes, yes, I have a chapter on walking with a dog, which has been the very that that chapter is very popular. I get asked more about that chapter than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> particularly particularly in on American radio where they they love that. In many ways a dog is a perfect walking companion. Yeah. You have company, so you don't you don't feel that you're alone, you don't feel if you're female, you don't feel worried because you've got you've got a protector. But also if you want to think about things so you don't want to be you know chatting you want to mull things or ponder things then a dog just doesn't interrupt or intrude with your thoughts they give you that space that mm -hmm. people we often go for a walk to get that space don't we to, to sort of recovery time if you like and a, and a dog is just the perfect companion in yeah. that respect but of course you know having a dog also has does wonderful things for your microbiome and basically most studies have found that people who have dogs tend to live longer and tend to have a, a longer health span. In other words, they're healthier for longer, which I think is probably not necessarily to do with the dog, but it's certainly to do with having to walk twice a day, whatever the weather. Yes. So a dog owner will never say, oh, I can't go out today, it's raining, or I can't go out today, it's too cold or too windy. You know, you have when you have a dog, you, you have to go out. And that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone's listening thinking, well, I don't have a dog and I can't have a dog, Borrow a dog, borrow a dog from a neighbour. There's actually an excellent website called Borrow My Doggy. And I've used that before. And I have regularly walked an, a neighbour's dog as a result. And it, there's just something marvellous about getting out there with a dog and enjoying nature. So I urge you to try it. Now, changing tack completely, 
One of the sections I was particularly fascinated about was the one called Walk to Get Lost, because we are so reliant on SatNav or Google Maps these days. And I, I do feel that we've sort of lost the element of our brain, which allowed us to be either good map readers or or just to have an instinct about, about where we are and our ability to sort of work out our relationship to our environment. So tell us about this. How can it help our brain? Oh, God, it's so important. I can't tell you how important it is. <laughs> and I think we all sense this because... I've even found it myself now that, that that some of those wayfinding skills that you know we we had as children and that our you know parents and grandparents had they're sort of gone and we don't really know how to orientate ourselves in space now because we say so we just mm. get out our phone don't we and we follow yeah. that little red dot blindly and there are there are many reasons not to follow the red dot but one of them is that it, it shuts down all of those navigational parts of our brain and what's been really interesting in in some of these studies is they show that the the hippocampus which of course is 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 crucial for keeping that hippocampus fresh crucial for fending off dementia is also the part of the brain that we use to navigate so in the same way that we would navigate our way through a city or through a park it's also how also has bearing on how we navigate through our memories so those two aspects of our brain are really important so to help to help fend off the dementia, you know, it's a really good idea to turn off your Google Maps and to take an old fashioned map or even to try and go without a map and to just see if you can still navigate by the sun or if it's at, at night by the stars even or by just knowing which way which way a bus is going. You know, there are hundreds of different ways we can use when we're yeah. out and about to work out. Are we north? Are we south? Do I go left or do I go right? Uh, which we've stopped doing and that our mothers and grandmothers would have just done automatically. So I really like going out, often with no no particular destination, but I'll take a map and I might I might get a bus so I get out of my locality, which of course we all we all know our immediate locality really well. So I'll I get a bus, but you can cycle or, or or drive somewhere and just go somewhere you haven't been before and just think, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk to get lost, but I'm gonna refer to my map so I'm not really lost. Yeah. And then just keep looking at the map and uh, looking around you and, and trying to work out where you are, whether it's fo- following footpaths if you're in, a, in the country, because we have a fantastic system of footpaths, or whether you're in a city and you're just you just think, well, I'm going to I'm going to go and explore North London today and just and just go there and just really try and use your brain and turn off that Google Maps. It's very interesting because one of the things that always strikes me whenever I go to North America, if I'm given directions, I'm often told, walk north. And I'm thinking, well, which way is north? And they seem to have a slight instinctive notion of where that is, which I don't have. So interesting. Yeah. Finally, one of the ones I want to just pick up on is this whole notion of work as you walk, because that was a new discovery for me. And I think it's the perfect option for people who say they don't have time to walk. Now, we're familiar with the notion of standing desks and the impact that can have on our bone health, for example. But how are we going to uh, work as we walk? How does that happen? Well, there are two ways. So I'll tell you how I started. So I, I, I did this research into treadmill desks, walking desks, and I just thought, I was just not going to work. I can't imagine how I can be moving my two legs and also thinking and typing. I just thought that's just going to be impossible. So I thought, 
I'll just start by seeing if I can. I do a lot of research reading, you know, reading these uh, dense reports. I thought I'll just start by I'll go around the park and I'll I'll take some reports and I'll read as I walk. So I started like that, just walking slowly around the park, obviously not in the rain. Uh, and with some of my paperwork and, and just going through it and taking notes as I walked. And that was fine. But of course, I couldn't do it when it was a bit dark. And I couldn't do it when there were lots of people. And I couldn't do it when it was raining. So then I thought, okay, well, I'll just, I'll just go to the gym. And I just, sort of, I got a week's membership or something at the gym. And I thought, I'm just going to take my work and I'm going to go on a running machine, put it onto, very, onto a very slow walking pace. And I'm going to see if I can work like that. So off I went with all my work and my laptop. And I sort of rigged myself up a little desk. Everyone in the gym thought I was completely mad. But I rigged <laughs> myself up a little desk. And I just stood there and I put it on very, very sort of slow walking. And I started to, you know, read through all the reports I had to read and, and do a bit of email sort of work. And I thought, oh, I can do this. So that was my sort of intro. And then I did push the boat out and I bought myself a treadmill desk. And that is all designed to work. So... It has a proper desk on it where you can put your laptop and, you know, a place for your pens and pencils and whatever. So it's got so like a little desk. And then it's a treadmill bit underneath that you can have at a you know, really nice, slow pace. And you can, you can go as fast or slow as you like, really. So then I sort of worked out that for reading reports, I could go at quite a clip. But for anything to do with working on a keyboard, I had to slow it right down. Right. And I so it's know- still getting that variety that we've talked about. Yes, yeah, so you're getting you're getting that variety. I also discovered that I could walk backwards on my treadmill, so I could also do my backwards walking without, you know, looking like a complete idiot in the park or bumping into anything. So, and, and also I could do hill uh, hills on it because, you know, it was a walking machine with uh, with an incline. I managed now to do quite a lot of my work, not all of it, but quite a lot of it on a on a walking desk. That's very impressive. They're very so- very heavy. That's the only thing I'd say. They're quite big and heavy, but if you're working. In an office, I would really recommend that anyone urges urges their employers just to buy a couple, buy a couple and have them somewhere in the office so that people can just break up their working day and just maybe do half an hour while they're checking emails or while they're reading through reports, that sort of work. Oh, that's interesting. That's and a just very go, good and idea. And it, it could be shared around a, an office of, I don't know, 100 employees. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great way of doing things. Okay, so Annabelle, tell us, where can people find you if they want to find out more about the work that you do, your other books and AgeWell Project, etc.? Well, they can find me at agewellproject.com, which is our blog. They can also find me at my personal, I have a personal website, which has got information on all of my uh, books and myself. They can find me on social media. I'm on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as um, at Annabelle Abs. So that uses my major name, which is Abs. Okay, well, I'll put links to all of those in the show notes on the podcast page of my website so everyone can find you easily and check out the different books written under the different names. So Thank you. I'm really sorry to wrap this up because I could have this chat for at least another two hours with you. It's completely fascinating. But from all the things you've learned through your research and and also the years of walking that you've done, what would your sort of two key messages be for women in midlife who want to walk more? I think my first one would be to just spend a bit of time making sure that your posture is correct, you're, you're, you're aligned, because we've spent so long looking at laptops now, our heads are all thrust forward and we're a bit hunched and we're a bit stooped and our stomachs are hanging out. And I think what happens is people think, I'll go for a walk and they just get up from their, they just get up from their desk and they, they plod straight off. 
and I say to everyone, no, don't stop on the doorstep before you start walking. Look out into the look out into the horizon to rest your eyes, and then just the five movements. They're in the book. Just work through these five movements. It literally takes ten seconds, but it just means that when you set off, you're walking in the most efficient, comfortable, and joyful manner. And then the second tip. Just to interrupt, I have already sat up, lifted my chin and put my shoulders back in preparation. I saw you doing that. (laughs) (laughs) And secondly, I would say try and get out within an hour of waking up and getting that first, that, that sort of morning sunlight straight into your eyes. Keep your sunglasses off for at least 10 minutes. Getting 10 minutes of morning light will set up your circadian rhythms, your sort of your internal clock for the whole day and will help you sleep later at night as well as making sure you have plenty of energy in the morning. Fantastic. Great advice. Annabelle, it's been an absolute pleasure. I urge anyone listening to get out there and grab a copy of 52 Ways to Walk because it's an absolutely wonderful book. And we've heard just a few of the ways that walking can make a big difference to you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Jackie. Perhaps you're already out for a walk as you listen to this. But if not, I bet you're all fired up to put your shoes on. I went straight outside as soon as I'd finished recording the interview. I really hope that this has inspired you to take a daily walk and try the multitude of different ways it can support your health and well-being. If you'd like to find out more about Annabelle, her books and her blog, I've posted all the relevant links on the podcast page of my website, well-well.co.uk. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you listen on. And make sure you tell all your friends. It makes a huge difference to the visibility of the podcast and really helps to spread the word. Because every woman deserves to have a happy menopause. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.